everyone, and welcome back to the I Am Not Alone podcast, where we dive deep into the personal, professional, cultural, and systemic changes that will redefine the way we care for one another. When we think of the word advocate, caregiving may not be the first thing that comes to mind. Typically, we think advocates are subject matter experts or promoters, people who are speaking on a particular topic and acting with conviction. But the reality is that advocacy is a big part of caregiving. At some point in our journeys of caring for a loved one, we'll come to realize this. And almost no one I can think of knows this more than Alison Beininger, a seasoned caregiver, inspiring advocate, and someone who has become such a close friend. She's been caring for her husband, Sean, who is amazing, by the way, who has a rare disease called Fanconi anemia for close to 10 years. And she is just the right person to help us navigate this conversation. So I hope this conversation offers each of you a sense of confidence and conviction you can take forward on your own care journeys. And at the end of this episode, we have a little surprise for all of you. So stick around. So I want to start off by saying that advocacy is one of the most important things that we could do as caregivers. And yet most caregivers don't even realize the power of their voice Mm -hmm. early enough. And if there's one thing that I hear all the time is that they realize that the way they advocate and advocate and the, the fact that they can advocate uh, comes way too late, almost too late to the point where it's only in hindsight. Mm-hmm. And so I think what I'm really excited about with this episode, and especially with Allison here, is that if there's one thing to take away from people that have gone through this, it's the power of your voice. It's the power that you can advocate. And we'll break it down because I know some of you who are listening may say, what does that even mean? And what mm-hmm. do we do? Well, Allison and her journey, she will break it down with you just by the way she has learned to live and to care for the people in her life. And so I'm like, get your coffee, you know, turn up the volume because this is an episode that is going to really make a difference in how you care. Um, so Allison, thank you so much for being here. Um, I have to tell everybody that you and I go, <laughs> I guess, way back. We do. And you have been just such an encouragement in my life um, and inspiration in my life. Uh, you've been a caregiver so long. I want you to give everybody kind of an overview of who you are, your story. Um, and it's a continued story that you're living yeah. out right now. But um, welcome to the podcast. And thank you for all that you do. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And Spending time with you is my favorite. And so, you know, if we get to do that and other people just happen to get to listen, it's a bonus. So I'm just really, <laughs> it is a bonus. really happy to be here today. Thanks for asking me. So yeah, I'm Allison Brininger and I am a caregiver for my husband, Sean. So he, 11 years ago, when he was 31, was diagnosed with a rare genetic disease called Fanconi anemia. And that disease causes bone marrow failure. And it also causes cancers at a rate of around 750 times that of the rest Mm. of us. And it's rare. So we had never heard of this. And so he got this diagnosis out of nowhere and then went almost immediately to bone marrow transplant, which in my eyes is really one of the hardest things a body can do because they bring you basically to death Mm. so that they can 
put in those new cells and bring you back. So he did that right away. And then in the 10 years since, he has had um, cancer of the tongue where they removed half of his tongue, cancer of the bladder where they removed his bladder, um, cancer of the throat twice, and he's had chemo and radiation, cancer of the gums, of the lips, and about 150 skin cancers. Um, so our life is just a continuous, just we're always on watch. We're always doing scopes and scans and labs and just looking to try to find the next cancer when it's tiny so that we can get rid of it because we know it's coming. Mm. And so that has been my reality for the last 11 years is just as a young married person, young mom, all of a sudden being a caregiver to a person with a rare, a rare disease. Wow. I know. And everyone should literally go to our website and we have a video of Allison's story. You have to watch that um, because you'll see a glimpse visually of all that she's sharing. Um, When you say you were a young mom and you were a young caregiver, tell, I mean, how old were you? And like the timing of, yeah, yeah, being a parent and everything. So we were actually high school sweethearts. So we Mm -hmm. had been married. I know. So we had been married for um, eight, nine years at that this time we had just adopted our daughter Maya from Haiti so she had just finally come home to us and she was a toddler and so we had one year with Maya um before weird symptoms started happening and then all the spent a year trying to find a diagnosis and all of this so i think i was around 30 at the time so we have sort of this pre post life right we have times in our life when it was sort of like just us as a little married couple and as a little family and then we have sort of the post-diagnosis, which is the rest, the rest of our lives. And we know that that there is no cure for this disease. And so we know that the rest of his life, that's what this will look like for us. And I have to do a shout out that you have to follow Allison on Instagram because, and we'll link everything up uh, because she shares all of this with such authenticity and um, just realness that is going to resonate with all of you. Um, there's so many things that we could talk about. I know. I mean, everything yeah. <laughs> that you mentioned. Because um, as you were saying, and the, the reason why I want to have you share about other aspects of your life of being a new mom is you have so many roles, right? Yeah. You're caring for so many people. And so we could talk about marriage. We could talk about being a parent, yeah. mom, all of that. But I really do want to focus today on being an advocate. Yeah. And from everything that you have gone through and are going through, I would love to hear your journey of finding mm-hmm. that voice. Like, where did you start? Did you always know that you had this voice and that you had to stand up or was there a progression? And before you go into that, I think it's, uh, you know, I love the meaning of words and it was mm-hmm. fascinating even preparing for this conversation that the word advocate, you know, means to plead on someone's behalf. Plead. plead, like that word plead yes. is fascinating because it's not just asking, right. it's not just doing a logistics, right. it's not just saying, okay, I'll follow instructions, yeah. we plead on someone's mm-hmm. behalf, that comes with conviction, that comes mm-hmm. with knowledge, mm-hmm. it's like, it's strong, like you're yeah. persuading someone, so like, what was your journey, tell yeah. us about your journey. Yeah, for sure, I just want to add that I hear the word desperation, I think of desperation, when you hear the mm. word plead, you don't just casually plead. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's it. Feels like yes. when you are pleading that there is a there's a layer of desperation there. Yeah, with that right. word. Good point. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing that happened with him was this bone marrow transplant, and they actually had me write a, or sign a contract to be his caregiver because it is so intense wow. that they do not let a person have a bone marrow transplant unless they have signed 
person to sign a contract saying that they will be with them 24-7 for 100 days. Interesting. Yes. I never knew that. Yes. So like where some people are like, I didn't know I was a caregiver. I knew right away because I had to sign a contract. And wow. so I reference that because in the contract, and of course they can't spell out all the things, right, that are going to happen, but they talk about a lot of medical things. Like you're going to, you know, organize their meds and get them to appointments. And they talked a little bit about some emotional pieces. So there was sort of a little bit of a job description in a way that I was handed right away. But the word advocate was not in that. Mm. And I wonder if part of that is because the medical people probably don't see that, you know, because often in that space, I had to advocate, you know, with them. I had to, you know, fight against the medical system. So they probably don't think to put that in their contract as something that that they think that I'm going to have to do. That's an interesting dynamic. You're right. You're like, they were, they're not going to put that in because it's usually you're advocating I guess, yeah, with them, right? Like against them, not against. I right. know I can't but, think like, of the adjective. But yes, yeah, exactly. They're exactly. the recipient of your advocacy. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So that was a piece I I didn't know, I didn't realize going in, yeah. but I can clearly remember. So his transplant was over Christmas, and you know I, I remember it was a Christmas Eve, and he was sick, 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 sick as a dog, and the he was literally delirious, like he was having hallucinations. And I, you know, everybody else was gone. I was just me sitting there and, you know, it was Christmas Eve. So we had sort of like the C team, you know, we did not have our normal nurses. <laughs> we had the people who were like showing up because nobody else was there. And I remember like asking this nurse, like, is this okay? Like, is it okay that he is like, he, he is seeing people who are not in this room. Like he is clearly hallucinating. And she kept blowing me off. And I just thought, well, you know, she's the nurse and, but this doesn't feel right. And so in the morning, when, you know, our team came back, I mentioned this to a nurse and they said, you don't ever have to have a nurse that you don't want. You can at any moment, you can walk to ask for the head nurse or walk to the nurse's station, ask for the charge nurse and say that you want a new person. Hmm. And I was like, what? Like nobody had told me that. Right. Nobody, I, you know, and you think about it, like, I guess technically we are like the customer Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we can totally. ask for those things, but nobody had ever told me that. And I never knew that that was even an option. So I feel right. like that was a turning point moment for me of someone saying, Oh no, you don't, you don't have to just settle for whatever this is. Right. Mm. So that was like, I think the, the first moment that I re- remember doing it. And then there have been, you know, 10 million moments since. But I think that person just sort of mapping out for me what that could look like was very eye-opening for me in that moment. Right. You touched upon a couple of things. It's so interesting. It's like, what do you feel versus what do you know? And Mm. most caregivers are not trained. We're not trained. So we go into this hospital system. A lot of it is medically driven. You're like, I don't know what I'm doing. What am I to say that I'm going to tell you to do it this way versus that way? Right? And so I think that's the big gap. So as you were going through it, how did you know – the difference between what you feel is mm-hmm, off, mm-hmm. but how do you then say with confidence that this is off? Right. Like, did you, yeah, how did you deal with that? Yeah. Did you, or, or, or did you just say like, oh, I'm just gonna. Right. Yeah. Good question. I think that I could, because there were certainly moments where it's like, I could tell he was in pain and maybe they weren't taking it seriously. Or they were saying, I think this is the diagnosis or the treatment plan. And I could tell that's not enough. 
or even moments where they would say, oh, our next available appointment is six months from now. You know, Mm. moments like that were in my gut. I could tell like, that's not good enough. Like this answer is not good enough. Right. And so I remember at one point he had some kind of infection and they just, they kept trying different things. But after a while they're like, I don't know. And I was like, that is not good enough. Like, right. we cannot just shrug our shoulders. Like, we have to keep, we have to keep asking. We have to keep looking for an answer. And I remember the the physician's assistant in that moment, because I was just like digging and just saying like, look, what's next? What's next? What's next? And I think I started to apologize, you know, of just like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And like, I still need you to keep doing this. And I remember sh- her saying to me, she looked a little deflated because I think she didn't know what to do next, first of all. Right. But she looked at me and she said, if I was sick, you were exactly the kind of person that I would want taking care of me. Mm, powerful. Yes. So she was able to take herself out of the, like, she didn't really like me as a patient caregiver right in that moment because I was being a pain. Yes. Yep. But she was able to acknowledge that what I was doing was important and it's exactly what she would have wanted if she had been right. in that hospital bed. And so I cling on to that to be like, okay, all right. Yeah. I can be a pain. It's fine. My mom used to joke that at the whole University of Minnesota, like hospital system, that there's a little picture of me on people's like desktops, (laughs) computers that says like, watch out for this one. (laughs) (laughs) Don't mess with this one. You think you're like the sweetest, most awesome, most fun person. Um, So watch out for her. But she's also someone you definitely want to hang out with. Don't mess with her. Yes. Yeah. But on a good day, she's great. But don't mess with her or her husband, you know? I mean, that is so critical. It's almost like that nurse or those nurses that told you those things gave you this permission that you didn't know you had. Yes. Right? And hopefully you are giving all of our listeners permission right now to do the same Mm -hmm. and to, to voice what you think is off and know it's off and and then I think the other aspect of it is, you know, I remember talking to a couple of doctors and I would apologize. We would apologize. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so sorry. Am I bothering you? You're so busy. And this one doctor's response was, I'm actually really grateful mm-hmm. that you are pushing this forward because things can get lost. And yeah. for me, that was the moment of like, what? Things get lost in right. your highly documented right. healthcare system? Yes. I am needed. I need yeah. to push this through. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just yesterday, we had an appointment with one of Sean's providers. And I said, do you know what's up with this whole like immunocompromised people being able to get a fourth shot? And he was like, well, I don't know. And then he said, he was sort of, he's like, well, I know that they looked at the lung transplant people first, and then the people who recently had a BMT, a bone marrow transplant next. And he said, I bet nobody's thinking about Sean. I bet he's not on anybody's radar. Hmm. And and sort of like you just said, like things can get lost. And I was like, what? Right. <laughs> so if I don't bring up this question, nobody's going to bring this to us? What? Yeah. Yes. You know, so it's right. moments like that. And so I want to acknowledge that the yes and here of you're saying, you can find your voice. And I also want to acknowledge like, oh, we are tired, (laughs) right? Yes. We're tired as caregivers. And so to say, like, to to, for me yesterday to think, I have to ask all the questions. I have to bring all the things up. Nobody's going to reach out and say, did you know there's this new thing Mm. that you might be eligible for, Sean? Like, I have to do that feels like, it's another thing. It's another thing. Yeah. And another thing I'm not trained for. 
Yes. You know, it's another tension. Yeah. That, yeah, you're exactly right. Like we're empowering you to use your voice. Yeah. But now it's like, it's all on you. You right. better have that. And if you don't, it, they're going to get lost in yes. the system. Oh, yes. that is not the pressure that we want to put on everybody. I mean, there's truth to it. But so then how do you, and I know that you are a professional speaker, you talk about self-care, you talk yeah. about this dynamic. So how how do you deal with that tension? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. I think I have to... I have to find that balance, right? I have to say like, okay, these are the things that I know that I can be asking for. Some of them are more easy. You know, if it's like if we're sitting there in an appointment, I can see that he's shivering. Nobody else sees it. And I say, we could use some warm blankets. Or it looks like he's in pain and needs more numbing medication. Partly this is my husband is the sweetest person you'll ever encounter. And so part of it is that he isn't, he very rarely will be the one to say, I'm cold. I could use a blanket, mm. right? And so partly I have to be those that extra set of eyes to be able to ask for those things. Or, you know, especially back in the day with when he was more, even more immune compromised, seeing people like drop something on the floor and then like they were about to go then like inject that into him. And I'd be like, oh, no, 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 mm-mm, no, that can't happen. I saw that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I think there's some things like that. I think in the moment it's like, yes, you have. So like when I would see those things, I think that the claiming your voice is... To not feel bad in that moment to say, nope, nope, we're going to need a new syringe because we're sitting there anyway. And so to not feel like, I just have to sit here and be like, oh, is that syringe about to inject, you know, floor dust into him or whatever, you know? But I think the place where I have to sort of give myself permission is things like yesterday with the shot. I can't think of all the things. You know, I cannot sit here imagining all of the questions I could be asking that maybe Mm -hmm. someone else isn't thinking of. I just only have so much capacity. And so as something comes up, like the fourth mm-hmm. shot, I can bring that up. But I have to give myself permission to not feel like I have to like read all the research and read all the articles and read all the everything every minute so that I can advocate in that way. Absolutely. I think that's a huge point where you have the uh, the power of your voice, but you don't need to feel like you are literally guiding and navigating yeah. the entire care because yeah. that's too much. too much. I mean, we can't do that. Right. But if we can just voice what we see or what we know we feel, like that's enough. Yeah. So it's almost like you don't need to prep for this test. <laughs> you yeah. know, like just keep your eyes, ears, heart open yeah. and just voice what you see and hear and feel. And yeah. then that's, I like that. Yeah. I like that. That's freeing for me to hear right now. You oh, know, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you so and when we think about advocacy, sometimes what comes to mind is when do you advocate what aspects we talk about clinical care? Yeah. I know there are financial aspects. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> insurance oh. aspects, mm-hmm. you know, with friends, family. Yeah. It's not just in the hospital. So can right. you share a little bit about yeah. that in other areas for of sure the care journey? For sure. Um, I mean I think the like finance, legal, insurance, Medicare. Oh my goodness. I mean, it makes me want to take a nap just even saying those words um, because it's so hard, so hard. And the system is broken. And so I think that's something to just sort of put out there is that we're you're dealing as a caregiver with a broken system. You are going to get bills that are incorrect. And you just have to know that that's going to happen. And we have had multiple, multiple times that I have taken the energy to call the person to say, what is this bill? And they say, oh, oh, sorry, yeah, you shouldn't have gotten that. You can just throw that away. And I think if I was just a bill-paying citizen, I would have just paid it and nobody would have ever known, right? Oh, my gosh. Um, That's crazy. Or Medicare. Like, we've had all this. We went through a whole thing earlier last year 
about like Medicare denials and then all these things and making decisions about if Medicare is not going to cover it and then how many, how much do we fight? And people are like, you need to con- contact Congress. And, you know, then, then I think part of this with the advocacy turns into what is the worth of your person? Mm. So we had to make decisions about if Medicare is not going to cover it, how much do we pay out of pocket for these medical supplies? And, and my husband went through a whole moment of like, am I worth that? Am I oh. worth those hundreds and hundreds of dollars a day that Medicare is saying I, they're not going to cover? And therefore, it's this moment of worth. And I think that that comes up a lot in this advocacy piece. Mm. So I want to say loud and clear that your person is worth it. Yeah. So they are worth the angst you might feel by saying to the person, like, we're going to need a new syringe because you just dropped it on the floor. Mm. They're worth it because what you don't want to have happen is them to get some infection or some whatever, just because you you felt a little nervous in that moment yes, about sticking right. up for them. They're worth it for when you have to, when the person says the next appointment six months away and you have to say, that's not good enough. I mm-hmm. need to talk to a supervisor. Like that doesn't feel good to have to do that, but your person is worth it. They are worth the the money that the government or the, or the Medicare, whoever is saying like, well, if you want to keep doing this, that costs that much money. They are worth the fight to figure that out. Yeah. And I think that that's, that can feel, we can lose that sometimes. We can start to question that, that both the patient and the caregiver in these moments when systems are trying to say like, maybe they're not, maybe they're not worth it. Maybe they're not worth our A game. Maybe they're not worth us doing accurate billing. Maybe they're not worth us covering your supplies. Yeah. So I just want that to come through loud and clear. I don't want to say that in a way that makes there more pressure, but just for you to know that they are worth it there. And that's why we advocate. Yep. That's a good guiding phrase to think in the moment because it can be awkward. Yeah. And it's, you can be shy and it's, you don't want to make the clinicians or anybody or the insurance company, or I don't know, there's always this fear that, right. you know, you're going to make it worse for right. the situation yeah. because you're going to be annoying or frustrating <laughs> or, I don't know, they just don't want to answer your question or something like that. Um, but they are worth it. They're worth it. Uh, to push through it. Yeah. 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 So, like, we we had this whole Medicare thing a few months ago, and actually it was with the help of an Iannacare, um navigator awesome. who – helped me because I, you know, I know a lot of things. Like I've been doing this a long time. I call myself like a caregiver ninja at this point. Like (laughs) you are, you are, I can do a lot of things. I still don't understand or nobody ever will how Medicare works. Right. Right. But I was able to like sit with one of your navigators and in like 20 minutes, she was like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And so I think that's part of it too, is that we don't always have to advocate ourselves. Like I don't have to become a Medicare expert. I don't and I can't. But advocating can also mean bringing in resources. It can mean going to that expert and saying, help me, help me figure this out. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to feel, I feel like sometimes advocate can feel like a really singular, like I'm going to be the one to do it all. And it doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. It just maybe means you're the organizing force. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. I think that brings down that pressure. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you're right. Advocate, even that word, you typically see it in professional settings. Yeah. And if they're the advocate, it's almost like they know so much about it. They're they're the ones speaking in front of thousands of people or writing that big op-ed because they're the advocate. Mm -hmm. No, it's just like, yeah, you can be the organizer. You can um, be the the, the rallier. Yeah. Where in your experience 
has your voice or your advocacy actually changed the care plan? Mm. Like, has that ever happened? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, good question. Let me think for a second. Cause I know it has. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, one of them I think of first is that one I talked about with the, the physician's assistant where they were just going to like shrug their shoulders and keep walking away. You know what I mean? And so I yeah. think that's one where it was like, Nope, Nope. Keep doing the tests. Keep doing the tests. Um, I think there have been a number of times when, they, you know, people, again, sort of the, not apathy, but advocacy when your person has a rare disease is even more complicated. Yeah. Because we know more about this disease than most of his medical providers do. Mm-hmm. And so there have been times when they've said, I don't think we need that test. I don't think we, ah, da, da, da. and that we have had to say, nope, he does. Actually, he does actually yeah. need those things. And so I feel like there's like too many examples to even, you know, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's just yeah. been... A lot or or moments of them saying, we'll do this, but maybe next year. And I'm saying, no, no, I think right. we'll do this next week. Right, right. You know, and so I yeah. think a lot of it is about the urgency and, mm-hmm. and pushing forward the urgency of, of those things. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I think in recent uh, times for myself, as um, as you know, yeah. um, just been thrust into kind of a different level of care needed for my 82-year-old dad. Um, and I think this Again, this episode is so critical, but I've seen even a change in myself in how to advocate yeah. and how important that is, where sometimes the hospitals or insurance, they will have their own agenda. Oh, yeah. And now being in healthcare, I realized, oh, they have these metrics to hit yeah. that may not be aligned with your wishes as a human being. Mm. And so, especially in, the, in my in my case, that's more like elder care. Yeah, you know, older. You know, and you talk about worth. Yeah, sometimes they won't either do certain tests or go a certain plan because to them they're like, well, it's kind of mm-hmm. at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, are we going to really mm-hmm. do that? Or it's on this metric of, well, that's too high risk of a death, and that we get dinged on that. Oh, but what wow. if the person is like, I'm willing to that risk because I don't want to live that way for right. ten years. Right. So without going all into the details of that, that it's like a complex thing. And yeah. I realized there's a whole element of advocacy where it's voicing the desires yeah. of the patient. Yes. That may not medically make sense. Yeah. But, you know, you can keep him living, but in a way that he just really doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. It's it's complex, it you is. know, but yes. it is that voicing of the desire because- yeah. All of this that we're talking about impacts the way we live and mm-hmm. love and laugh mm-hmm. <laughs> and just function every day. Like, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. And so we got to voice those things. I think that's so powerful, Jess. And I think it's true that I see myself as Sean's voice often mm. in when we're in those settings or even when we're here and we're dealing with, with insurance and whatnot, because I see one of part of my role as a caregiver is to try to make his life as easy as it can be. Like he has got enough, right? And so I try to be there at every appointment and every procedure so that he can just lie there <laughs> and be sliced and diced and all the things they're doing to him. And that's what he gets to be. And I can be the one to say, he looks pretty pale. I think we need a glass of juice. He looks, he's shivering. Can we get a blanket? Can we, oh, I'll tell you what his med list is. Do you know what I mean? Mm, and so- yeah. In those ways, even like, you know, so many times, especially if we're with a new provider and they say, Sean, tell us your story. He just like looks up towards me with these sad eyes. Like, <laughs> can you just, cause his story is so long. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so in some ways it's, I feel like I'm the voice in those 
in that way as well, right? Mm-hmm. It's just to try to lift that off. Because if you imagine your dad at this point trying to advocate for himself. Yeah. You know, and like, it that takes so much energy, as we both know. Yeah. And that's not a place that we want them to spend their energy. Right. We want right, them to right. spend their energy healing. Yes. And not having to fight on their behalf. And so then we end up being the voice for them so that they can rest. How has that impacted your relationship with Sean mm-hmm. being his advocate? Do you think it's gotten you stronger or has it caused any tension in any surprising ways? Like, yeah, that's a good question. I think because I think there, there is a balance, right? Like we want, you know, I think doctors are trained to look not at the caregiver, but to look at the patient and say, tell me your story, right? And so he and I have had to work through that of like, you know, I, I wait for him to say, will you just tell it? <laughs> or for me to say, would you like me to do this for you? And so we, I want to make sure that he doesn't ever feel like I am jumping in and saying like, you yes. don't have a voice. I'm, I'm just going to do mm. all the talking for us. And so I try to make sure that there's a good sort of permission level there because there might mm-hmm. be some days that he does want to talk. Great. Um, right. Yep. So I don't want to assume that he wants me to be the voice all the time. So yeah. I think that that has helped. And I think um, for him to see like the hoops that I am willing to jump through on his behalf, I think that has brought us closer together. And then for me, yeah. to be, I'm, I feel like I'm so attuned to him and yes. to his needs has also certainly helped our relationship. Yeah, having spent time with the two of you, um, that's what was so apparent was that you are so attuned with mm. each other. Yeah. And so I can see as you're talking about advocating, and I love the tension that you were talking about. It's like, oh, you don't want to make him feel like he doesn't have a voice because he has such a beautiful, yes. amazing right. soul and voice. His poetry, oh my gosh, yes. always gets me. Um, it's amazing and so insightful. Um, but I can definitely see that he probably feels so loved by you mm. that, you know, probably, um, I don't know how much you debrief or I don't know how long and all the things that you've gone through, but I'm sure the doctor or someone says, hey, how's he doing? You're like, say it all. <laughs> right, 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 right. He's like, whoa, you're watching all of yeah. that? That's amazing. Like, it must feel so loved. Yes. So That actually happened yesterday with an appointment where I said, you know, can I just jump, jump in for a second and tell you a couple of things I've noticed? And I said, I've noticed that, like you said, his writing. He is an incredible writer. I said, I've noticed lately that you've been writing more. And that as you write, that that really seems to be meeting a need. And mm-hmm. feeling, you know, and then he was like, yes, it has. And then it sort of gave him the jumping off point. And so, so you're right, exactly that thing happened. Then it was like, yeah. you could tell he was like, oh, oh, yeah, you have noticed that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so I think that that has helped. I do want to go back for a second if it's okay. Like when I mentioned the party yeah. and you had said the thing about family, mm, because I yes. think another piece of this, especially during the ongoing pandemic, yes, is advocating with our friends and family. Mm, what'd that look like? Oh, it is, it is a daily battle. <laughs> Fortunately, I will say the people that we most closely, closely surround us ourselves with totally get it. And they've been yep. with us since the beginning and they've known he's immunocompromised since 10 years ago, right? And that's not everybody. Mm-hmm. And so we've had, it's been really, really hard. Um, and I think that, you know, like for the first two weeks, March 2020, everybody was in it together. It's real great. Everybody was like, yeah, we should all be careful. And then it was like downhill from there. (laughs) So so it feels really lonely, um, especially like at this moment where numbers are peaking again. And 
like we're hunkered down again and we're making decisions about like, do we send our daughter to school and things like that? And it feels hard to have to justify our decisions to other people. And so even, you know, some great friends of ours texted, hey, do you want to come over this weekend? And that's just like not something that we were doing it for a while. And now we're not doing it again. And right. having to decide, okay, do we say yes? Do we say yes, as long as we all take a test first? Yes, as long as we, we have mask is no, or, you know, and so and fortunately, it's an amazing friend who will understand in whatever way. But I will say that like, there were some relatives that, you know, around holidays, that we had to say, okay, we'll see you if, right, we'll see you if everybody takes a test before you and you know, and I know that that turned into a whole lot of, you know, behind the scenes conversations. And I just said, too bad, I'll be the bad guy. I will be the mm-hmm. bad guy, because I would rather again, cause some angst in that moment, asking relatives to take a test, than having him get it and end up being hospitalized. Right. He's worth it. He's it's worth like it. Yeah, he's worth it. I mean, that type of advocacy could be even more complex because yeah. these are, right? Yes. It's so fascinating as you're sharing, I'm realizing there are a lot of dynamics there. Yes. And then there's also long-term, like there's one thing to advocate in front of a nurse who you may never see again. Right. Or like after the three days, but yeah. like, that's fascinating. So like, are there any things that you really learned from that or takeaways? Like, is it better to be firm and clear upfront? Or mm-hmm. I don't know, are anything? Yeah. Does anything come to mind in terms of like, oh, make sure you do this when you advocate with your friends and family? For sure. Um, I think I mean, I'm super glad I did it. You know, like we made it through a whole Christmas trip, and nobody got sick. So I feel really grateful that I did that. I think a couple things that I did was I said, like, we're all in this. So I modeled too. I said, we all, even though we've never left our house, we'll take a test too. You know, I had the test like shipped to people's doorsteps so that mm-hmm. they couldn't say like, there's no mm-hmm. tests around, you know? Right. Like I tried to make it as easy for people as possible so that I wasn't like putting them out necessarily. Um, and I tried to say, we're all in this together. We'll take the tests too. But it just, I think doing that helped me I don't know if anybody else, but it helped me be able to relax and enjoy that time with family. Um, and I hope that like people were able to see like, it wasn't so bad, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think I just, I'm always sort of trying to paint the picture for folks about Sean. Like people love my Sean and he has, I don't know, a whole long list of the comorbidities that they say make him at super, super high risk of this. And so when people are, you know, making decisions about like what they should do or whatever, I just want to be like, just picture my Sean, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's the thing to personalizing it for folks. So it's not just like, I'm up here on this pedestal saying that I have this belief about this thing. It's like, I just care about this guy. Right. And so if you could also help, help me care about this guy by doing this test, that would, that would be really helpful. Allison, who advocates for you? <laughs> so as we were talking about, you know, you feel so seen and loved because uh, you're, you know, Sean hears you understand and see all his moves and what's going on. Like, who does that for you? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a choke, such a true answer too, right? I mean, that's that's the hard part. Right. I mean, I will say couple things. One is that he, knock on wood, has been in a stable, stable spot lately. And so he has been able to, when I've been like 
feeling unwell or whatever, having a hard day, he has really been able to step up and support me, which has mm. been great. Nice. Um, and I mean, we have this incredible, like my mom is five minutes away and my best friend is 15 minutes away. So we have incredible people around us who can, who help, you know, mm-hmm. um, I will say, and I'm not just saying this because it's your podcast, but like, I think that like all of you, right. And see, so you as individuals, but also just knowing like the app, right. The app is like my way that I can like wrangle the troops and say like, all right, I need it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and even just knowing that people like you and so many other great organizations are there trying to make caregivers lives better makes me feel better. Mm. You know, I'm part of this caring across generations. I'm a fellow with them this year and they are just incredible. And, you know, just seeing that they are lobbying constantly on behalf of caregivers. So stuff like that just makes me feel like the big system is being worked on on my behalf. You know what I mean? So even if it's not someone individual. Yeah. yeah. So that gives you comfort because you're like, I'm not doing this alone. Yeah. That's, that's great to hear. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's part of it of like, you know, somebody sending me a nice note or that kind of thing, right? There's an individual piece, but also like to know that systemically things are being worked on. It's like, okay, maybe it won't always be like this. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you are a voice in that. So, uh, you know, as we wrap this up, I want you to share with everybody just how you share your journey, your insights, your voice with everybody. I know, you know, just tell tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, thanks. So, you know, one thing I noticed in this whole thing is that caregivers are what I call in the negative space, which means like if you picture a pick, a, you know, a piece of art that there's the focus is on like the main picture, but so much is going on in the background of that picture. That's called the negative space in art. And if you removed that from Mm. your vision, the whole picture would change. But yet you never pay attention to it. You're always focusing on the thing in the middle. So I realized years ago that 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 perfectly describes all of us as caregivers, that we are in the background, that we are unseen, but this huge part of the picture. And if we went away, everything would change. So I recently, a few months ago, um, left my job in education to start a nonprofit called The Negative Space. And in this work, I am an advocate all day long for for caregivers. And so I do that in through writing, writing just really um, honestly. I think that a lot of writing about caregiving is pretty sugarcoated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would just write really honestly about what it really is like. Um, like you said, I'm on social media. And so trying to really like post um and depict what it's like on a day-to-day basis to be a caregiver. Um, I have my own podcast, the In Sickness Podcast with Justin Baima. And we're, so we talk especially about being a quote, young spousal caregiver. Um, but we hit on topics that I think would support anybody. Um, I do one-on-one coaching with for caregivers so that they just have a space and a time to be with somebody who really gets it. I'm starting support groups coming up this winter. Um, I do public speaking and webinars for people like, like Iana Care and yes. other places. Um, and so just really, and I'm also doing consulting with organizations like churches and other nonprofits to figure out how they can, we can have culture change mm. so that it's not just like, I want to provide direct services to caregivers. And I don't want them to just feel supported when they're with me and benefiting from my services. But I want to like every place that those caregivers are walking into, 
whether that's their place of worship or their doctor's office or their insurance company or their Christmas party with their friends and family, I want them to feel seen and, and honored and supported. And so I'm working to get into all of those spaces to really have like culture change around what it is that caregiving is and what kind of support that caregivers need. Mm, I love that. You guys have to just follow Allison and you will feel so connected and seen and fulfilled. And so I can't recommend it enough. I recommend you to everybody. Um, Talk a little bit about your caregiver boxes. Yeah, yeah. So um, I created these boxes and the theme of the boxes is I am part of the story. Because I think that's something that caregivers don't often acknowledge or realize or let themselves acknowledge that they're part of this story. And so the whole that's the theme of the whole box. And so in it, caregivers receive a mug that says I'm part of the story. And I hear from so many caregivers that that is what they reach for each morning so that they have that reminder that as they go into their day that they're part of the story. There's a pair of socks um, from note to self socks that says I have a story. And I love it because those can you can wear those on surgery day or chemo day and nobody knows that that's what's going on. But it's your own little Mm -hmm. mantra hiding under your shoes. Uh, There's a little tin of de-stress tea and it's pocket size so you can have it with you at the hospital. There's a meal bar because we've all been in the space where you're in the ER and the cafeteria is closed and you made sure your person was fed advocacy but didn't make sure you were fed. So there's a meal bar. There's a little journal for taking notes at doctor's appointments and things. Um, There's three aromatherapy little sticks that are pocket-sized in calm, comfort, and joy flavors Mm -hmm. so that you can just get those little, a little boost of that in between meetings, in between appointments. Um, And then there's one of my favorite poems that I wrote. It's called Take Care of Yourself. And it's about what it really feels like when people are always saying, are you taking care of yourself? And just kind of the reality of like, can I tell you what that really is like? (laughs) (laughs) So it's a whole, and then there's a letter in there for me as well. And so it's just a whole bundle of items that I feel like that I personally have seen myself and other caregivers need and use, um, some that they'll use up right away and others that hopefully they can hold on to and just have as a daily reminder that they are part of the story. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you sent me one and um, I'm excited to, you know, share that we're going to be sponsoring a few of those for all of you. And so we'll have all the details of how you can get one of those boxes. um, Because everything that Allison said, really, I, I was a recipient of all of that. And it's just, it is that boost. It's that boost that you're not alone in this and that, you know, I'm doing what I'm, you know, supposed to be doing uh, the best I can. And so, Thank you so much, Allison. Um, Again, we could talk for hours. We could. Uh, And I just love you. I respect you. I'm so grateful for you. And I'm now so excited that everyone now knows who you are and that they can connect with you. Yeah. Um, And I would just end everything with, you know, as we plead on behalf of the people that we care for, we just don't forget to... Uh, advocate for yourself. Mm. And, um, and as we all said, that doesn't mean, you know, that you have to be the expert and that means self care, but it's just voice what you see, hear and feel and um, because your person's worth it. Because your person's worth it. Yeah. Perfect way to end it. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's always a gift to be with you. So thank you for this opportunity. Yeah. Thank you. So I think the big takeaway here is that advocacy is really about realizing and embracing the power of your voice. You don't have to be an expert or have all the clinical knowledge. 
but this is your person. You know what looks, sounds, and feels right. And when something doesn't, you have every right to speak up, even if that means that you are the bad guy in some situations. When Allison mentioned that sometimes the decisions we are faced with feels like a question of whether or not our person is worth it, that really hit me and I really got it. Our person is always worth the awkwardness or discomfort in that moment. That framing really gave me permission to speak up and push where maybe I wouldn't have before. So we want to hear your perspective on care-related advocacy. Have you had to speak up or push hard for what was right for you or your loved one, whether it was in a clinical, financial, or even family setting? Join this discussion and find us on social media at Ionicare. And thanks for joining us as we continue to navigate this journey together. Also, as you heard at the end of the episode, we'll be sponsoring a few of Allison's caregiver boxes and giving them away to some of you. So be sure to check out our Instagram for the details on how to enter.